0: I recently heard a story about jazz saxophonist John Coltrane and his 33-minute musical masterpiece entitled A Love Supreme. It's a four-part jazz instrumental. It was recorded in 1964. According to the liner notes for the album, this piece was written in celebration of the love that he had experienced and received from God when he finally decided to clean up his act. He was touring in 1957, he was touring with uh, Miles Davis and he had become unreliable because of his alcohol and drug addictions. And Miles Davis fired him and then he had a bit of an awakening. He, he writes this in the album. Quote, in the year 1957, I experienced the spiritual awakening, which was to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. He later on refers to his experience of God saying, quote, it is truly a love supreme. one of the amazing things that he does uh, in this uh, first movement of the composition is that he plays what is referred to as the Love Supreme Riff. The Love Supreme Riff. It's only four notes, but at one point he begins to intentionally play the riff in all 12 different keys. Jazz historian Lewis Porter says of this part of the piece, quote, to me, he's giving you a message here. First of all, he's introduced the idea. He's experimented with it. He's improvised it with great intensity. Now he's saying it's everywhere. It's in all 12 keys. Anywhere you look, you're going to find this love supreme. The love of God is supreme, and the love of God is universal, which is what I think the psalmist is saying over in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, which is literally Sheol, the place of the dead... You are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. The love of God is everywhere. And there is no doubt that love is very much at the heart of Jesus' teaching and Jesus' life. I mean, after all, when he was asked about the most important commandment in all the Jewish law, didn't he answer love of God and love of neighbor were the most important Didn't he, in fact, say that these two commands, love of God and love of neighbor, sum up all the commandments in the Jewish law, which is rather extraordinary when you think about it. 613 commandments in the Jewish law, summarized by two. Love God and love your neighbor. Versions of what we call Jesus' great commandment, as this is known, pop up several times in our New Testaments. It's interesting to me, however, how this great commandment gets repeated and interpreted throughout the New Testament. At First, in places like uh, the, the Synoptic, Synoptic Gospels, Mark 12, Matthew 22, Luke 10, the commandment is laid out in its most expanded version. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbors yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. However, after that, it's almost like our New Testament writers get a bit sloppy. They just seem to drop the love of God part altogether and only focus on the commandment to love our neighbors. Or perhaps we might think of it like John Coltrane's Love Supreme Riff. It keeps popping up in other documents in the New Testament, like musical keys, but it changes, it's improvised, it sounds a little different in each place. So, for example... Romans 13.10, the Apostle Paul tells us that love of neighbor is the fulfillment of the law. Love of neighbor. Love of God is not even mentioned. Galatians 5.14 says the entire law is fulfilled in this one command, love your neighbors yourself. James 2.8, the commandment to love our neighbors is referred to as the royal law, the royal law found in Scripture. Again, love of God is not even mentioned. I mean, can they do that? Just leave out half of the great commandment that Jesus gave them? Or is that actually a bit of a riff on the theme? Now, we might argue that in these, uh, these riffs, that actually the, the, love of, the love for God, love of, uh, uh, that we direct toward God is actually assumed, that it's behind every one of them. And I suppose that may be. But I want to propose to you that part of what is going on is that love of God is love of neighbor. Love of God is Love of neighbor. Nobody's throwing stones or eggs yet, so. Love of God is birthed into the world when we love our neighbors. Put another way. Love of neighbors demonstrates the love of God because when we love our neighbors, we are loving those whom God loves. It's a tongue twister. Love of neighbors demonstrates love of God because when we love our neighbors, we are loving those whom God loves. John, 1 John 4, 7 and 8 puts it, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And that, from that we're going to draw our good news statement uh, this week. On this fourth week in Advent, when we light the candle of love, we are reminded that God is love period god is love if you only knew you just had a few hours left to live what would you do with that time most of us would try to think okay what are the important things that i need to get done um think people people I need to talk to things i need to say relationships that i need to make right before my life is over i think the same is true of jesus in John 15 this morning, a chapter that comes in the middle of a very long section of Jesus' teaching, Jesus is, uh, this is on the very night Jesus was betrayed and arrested. So putting this in perspective, these are sort of Jesus' famous last words. He's about to be arrested and put to death. And one of the things he thinks is most important to leave with his disciples has to do with the importance of the love of God and love of neighbor. Why? Because God is love. Earlier in John 15, Jesus likens the father to the gardener. Jesus becomes the vine, and we who seek to follow Jesus are the branches. The the call there is that we bear fruit in the world, and we can only do this, Jesus says, if we remain in him. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then we get to the heart of our passage on this fourth Sunday of Advent. And we are reminded of the Father's love for the Son And of the Son's love for the disciples and therefore uh, for all of us. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. We are to model our relationships with Jesus after Jesus' relationship with the Father God. We model our relationships with Jesus after Jesus' relationship with the Father God. And that relationship begins with God's love for us. It begins with God's love for us. The the love of God expressed to us in the coming of Jesus. Or as the Apostle John puts it in 1 John 4, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Or again, the Apostle Paul in Romans 5. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is the initiator. Whatever else our relationships with God may be or may become, it doesn't begin with us. It begins with the love of God expressed to us in Christ Jesus. Our three ECC touchstones, again, are welcome, transformation, and presence, and We propose them as criteria by which we will evaluate all of our ministry at ECC. And we find this third touchstone of presence demonstrated in God's love for us and in our love for others. God has made himself and his great love for us present to us in the gift of his son. As God sent his own son into the world as an agent of change and redemption, so we too are sent into the world to bear fruit for the kingdom of God, as God's agents of change and redemption. That is, our presence, like the presence of God in Christ and the presence of God's Spirit within us, our presence is meant to make a difference in the world. As 1 John 4, 19 tells us, we love one another. We love our neighbors. We know how to love it all for one reason, and that is because God first loved us. God first loved us. In John 15, verse 10, Jesus tells us that we are to remain in his love, by keeping his commandments. Does this mean that if we fail to keep Jesus' commandments, we are no longer loved by God? No. It does not mean that. It means something else. At the very least, at the very least it means that we're, we're gonna, if we fail to keep Jesus' commandments, we're going to miss out on something God wants for us, as Jesus tells us in verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. To remain in God's love, then, is to experience the completion of joy. If we are to fully enjoy all that God has for us, then keeping Christ's commandments is how we do it. But there's good news here. Even though that word commandments has been plural so far in this passage, When Jesus gets right down to it, there's only one commandment, singular, we really have to keep. My command is this. My command, singular, is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. And with that, we're sort of right back to where we started this morning, aren't we? Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the royal law. Love is the most important thing and what it means for us to know God and to follow Jesus and to pursue God's purposes in the world. And if we think all this talk about loving others, loving each other, sounds a little wishy-washy, a little bland, innocuous, or namby-pamby, I propose that we simply do not fully understand what love is. We have a misunderstanding of what love actually is. Lucky us, Jesus fills us in. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. If love is defined by the laying down of our lives for our friends, then love is not wishy washy. It is bold, it is daring, it is intense, and it's perhaps the strongest word in the entire universe. Love is supreme. In his book, The Jesus Creed, scholar Scott McKnight names five marks of God's love. These, these marks better define for us the, the nature of God's love, and they teach us what our love of neighbor should and could look like. I think you'll find that his, these marks that he comes up with are anything but wishy washy. The first mark of God's love, says McKnight, is that God's love is a rugged commitment. It is a rugged commitment. That is, God has made a covenant with us, and He will not break that covenant. He is committed to us. He is faithful to His covenant. Love is a rugged commitment. The second mark is that God's love is affective. Not effective, affective. That is, it has emotion to it. God does not love us just because He has to, because He's God. God actually feels it. We see this in places like Deuteronomy 10.15 where Moses says to the people of God, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. He set his affection on them and loved them. God feels something for us. God delights in us. And that speaks to the nature of our love, too. Love is affective. Love is effective. That is not to say that we don't sometimes need to make the choice to do the loving thing even when we feel nothing. We do. Sometimes we love by making a decision to do the right thing, to do the loving thing, even though we may not feel anything like love for the other person at the time. In fact, we may even say we hate that person. And so we choose to do the loving thing anyway. However, in my experience, if we consistently choose to do the loving thing, even when we don't feel love, we will eventually begin to feel emotion. We will eventually begin to feel it. We will be affected by the loving decisions we make. So the love of God is a rugged, effective commitment to us. The third mark is that God's love is presence God's love is presence. God was present in the Garden of Eden. God was present with the the people of Israel in the pillar of fire, in the pillar of cloud. God was present with the people of Israel in the tabernacle, in the temple. And eventually, God was present to all of us in the birth of Christ, whose name is the Hebrew word Emmanuel, God with us. God is present to us in the giving of His Holy Spirit. God is present to us in the gift of one another in the body of Christ. God is with us. And in the Apostle John's book of Revelation, he tells of a vision of the new heavens and the new earth when he hears a loud voice proclaiming from the throne of God, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and will be their God God's intent from the very beginning was to be present with us, and his purpose is to be with us in the new creation as well. Fourth, God's love is advocacy. God's love is advocacy. That is, God is for us. God is in our corner. He has our back. The narrative that I think many of us have grown up with is that of a, that of a distant God who is lying in wait for us to blow it. And that God, frankly, is more like Zeus. I just googled Zeus. That's the first image that came up. That God is more like Zeus, not Yahweh, the name of the God of the people of Israel. But God is not holding lightning bolts in His hands, aiming them in our direction should we fail or fall or blow it in some way. No, God wants something else. If we see that kind of God, when we think of God, we have Him confused with Zeus. God wants what's best for us. And God is always at work, working for our good. In fact, when Jesus promises the coming of the Holy Spirit several times in the Gospel of John, he calls the Spirit our advocate. And in 1 John chapter 2, Jesus himself is named as an advocate as well. God is for us. So God's love is a rugged, affective commitment of presence and advocacy. And finally, God's love has direction. God's love has direction. That is, there is intentionality in God's love. It's not just love for love's sake, aimless and wandering. It is love that intends to move us in a good, profitable direction. God's love directs us. God's love shapes us and leads us into Christiformity, where the character and nature of Christ is formed in us and fleshed out in us. God's love works for and toward our transformation. This is how God loves us. This is how God loves us, and it is how we are to love our neighbors, and it is how we are to love one another as sisters and brothers in Christ. Back in uh, John 13, a couple of chapters prior to ours this morning, Peter says that he would lay down his life for Jesus, but that's not what Jesus is asking. He makes this clear in John 15. Here in John Jesus doesn't require that we lay down our lives for him, but that we would lay down our lives for one another. Jesus isn't requiring that we lay down our lives for him, but rather that we lay down our lives for one another. As sisters and brothers in Christ, or if you prefer, by laying down our lives for others, we are in fact laying down our lives for Christ. Once again, love for God Love for Jesus Christ is demonstrated in our love for one another in the community of faith. Others will know that we follow Jesus by our love for one another. Back in John 15, Jesus then promotes his disciples from servants and followers to friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, singular, love each other. Once again, just as God has been present to us in Jesus, so we are called to be present and to bear fruit for the kingdom of God in the world as is the case with each of the themes that we have looked at during Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. So it is the case with this this one here, love. Love. In the coming of Christ in the flesh, God incarnated into our midst as a human being, the love of God is made known to us, physical to us, and tangible. If you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. That's who God is. But these themes, hope, peace, joy, and love, these themes are not only gifts that are given to us by God, they are character traits. We are called upon to manifest in our relationship with one another and with our neighbors, In that 97% of our waking hours spent outside of church. They're to be practiced by us. I saw an interview with uh, Tom Hanks about his uh, portrayal of Mr. Rogers. And in the interview, he was telling the story that every single person he had talked to on the set who had met or spent any time with Fred Rogers said that whenever you talk with Fred Rogers, it was as if you were the most important person in the world. And Gail King, the interviewer, said, that's a gift. And Tom Hanks responded, it's a gift. It's also a practice. It's also a practice. Love, hope, joy, peace, are gifts, but they also need to be practiced by us. Put a little differently, the way we are to respond to the good news that God is love is by loving others. Loving others. Yes, we are to love one another as sisters and brothers in Christ inside the church and, Jesus says elsewhere, we are to love our neighbors. We are even to love our enemies. Oh, I don't have any enemies. Yes, you do. You do. There are people you'd rather hate than pray for. <laughs> Who are they? The love of God is bold. The love of God is robust. And love for our neighbors and enemies can be too. So we start with the reality that God is love and that God loves us already. There's nothing we must do to get God to love us. We're already there. God cannot love us any more than he currently loves us, and he will not love us any less. And so how are we to respond to this good news that God is love? First, let us spend time reflecting on the love that God has for us. We hear these phrases, God is love, God so loved the world, whatever, and we just take them for granted. Stop and reflect on the love of God for each of us. For you, that may be as simple as spending time each day reading from Psalm 139 or from 1 uh, first, uh, first John chapter 4 or another passage that you happen to know about the love of God. Let that be our first response to this good news, that, that God is love. For God's love is indeed supreme, and it is everywhere, if we will just look for it. If, if the music of life is jazz, then God's love sings out in all 12 keys. So first... Make time to reflect on God's love for us. And after that, second, let us respond by loving God, by loving others. Let us love God by loving others. Let us love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And some of us might want to object that we should not really love ourselves. But I disagree. We should love ourselves. We should take care of ourselves. We should treat ourselves with kindness and patience. And if we happen to struggle with loving ourselves, as I know many people do, then we should seek the help we need that we might better love ourselves. As the flight attendant tells us, please secure your own oxygen mask before assisting others with theirs. Take care of yourself, and you can be of more good to others. I happen to think I'm quite good at loving myself. Perhaps too good. I give myself food to eat. I took myself to see Star Wars the other night. I even paid for IMAX to see Star Wars the other night. I also bought a rather large tub of popcorn. I'm good to myself. I also happen to laugh at all of my own jokes. That's a little tongue-in-cheek, of course, but it gives us a clue to how we move forward in this. Sometimes I think God does call us to do something heroic, something very difficult to show our love but most of the time it's simple acts it's simple gestures care and kindness and love for others things we would like if others would do for us that's what we do for others that's how we love god by loving others as we love ourselves on march 18 1958 trappist monk thomas merton was in downtown louisville kentucky running some errands for his monastery and he had a revelation his revelation is one of my favorites from all of his writing. He writes this In Louisville, at the corner of Forth and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all those people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, a spurious self-isolation in a special world. This sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. I have the immense joy of being human, a member of a race in which God himself became incarnate. Now I realize what we all are. And if only everybody could realize this. But it cannot be explained. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. This week, let us consider how many people we pass by each day just by going about our business or doing our Christmas shopping. And let us realize two important facts about every single one of these people we encounter. One, they are loved by God and valued by God, and He is quite fond of them, whoever they are. And two, We are called to love them and value them as well. Every person you meet, every person you see is loved by God and valued by God. And we are called to love and value them too. Find a street corner like Merton did or sit down in a coffee shop or a restaurant and look at the people. Don't be too obvious about it. They'll think you're a creeper. But look at people and ask God to give you His heart and His eyes for each person there. And then pray a simple blessing. You don't have to know what's going on in anybody's life. All you got to say is, God, would you bless that person right now in whatever way they need to be blessed? Nothing fancy. As the character Tamar said in the candle lighting this morning, quote, there are times in the confusion and disorder of daily life that something grabs you and shakes you and cries out, take notice. Life is more than just your own four walls. That's what we're after, pausing and taking notice of the love of God for every single person we meet or see on our television screens or computer screens, for God is love. Love your neighbor, love your sister, your brother, your enemies, love your neighbor as you love yourself. When we do this, we fulfill the royal law. When we do this, we remain in the love of God. We have the joy of Christ within us, and that joy is made complete. Again, it's not that God falls out of love with us if we disobey the commandment. It's, it's that we're not living into and out of this love in the world. We are missing out on what we were made for, what God in His infinite wisdom, love, grace, and mercy wants for us and is made available for us. This is how we are sent into the world as agents of change and redemption. This is how we bear fruit for the kingdom of God and the 97%. This is how we live into our calling to be a kingdom of priests in the world. Let me close with a few more words from Thomas Merton. And my prayer is that his reflections on those whom he saw that day would become ours on all those whom we see today and every day. Just hear this or read it if you'd like. Then it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths of their hearts, where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach the core of their reality, the person that each one is in God's eyes. If only they could all see themselves as they really are. If only we could see each other that way all the time. Would you pray with me as we close? We'll just uh, take a moment of silence, then I'll close.